What organizations need to do now more than ever is be able to understand which ways customers want to work and have the agility to be able to meet that preference in different places and, as I said, potentially over time. And so we need to get, as pharma, a lot better at not only the push channels that we're already going after from a digital lens, but the pull channels. The future of customer engagement has been a hot topic across biopharmaceutical and medtech companies for the past couple of years. The need to evolve customer engagement on traditional channels, such as face-to-face, -face, has been in the forefront before the COVID-19 pandemic. It has unquestionably accelerated it. Recent ZS research shows that in the US, 50% of physicians say their practices have been restricted to sales reps and other non-essential visitors. In Europe, depending on the country, between 50 to 80% of all pharmaceutical healthcare professional engagements are virtual. While satisfaction with the experience is variable, the majority of healthcare professionals expect and want some degree of digital and virtual interaction to continue post-pandemic. For some, it's even the preferred way to engage in the future. To explore implications for pharmaceutical and medtech companies, we're talking about the future of customer engagement with Jude Konzelman, CS partner leading the commercial model design and operations practice, and Heather Wiederholt, CS partner leading enterprise digital advisory services practice. Hi, this is Jude Councilman, and I'm a principal based in our New York office. I lead our commercial model design and operations practice. So I've been working with clients, large and small, for a number of years on how to set up their engagement model with customers, inclusive of uh, field-facing roles that are commercial, but also uh, field-facing roles that are not commercial uh, or not demand-generating, uh, like medical resources and and uh, and others others like that. Heather. Over to you. Sure, I'm Heather Wiederhold, a partner in Zurich. Um, I lead our enterprise digital advisory services, focusing on helping companies to get the value that they wanna get out of digital. Um, primarily through, of course, enabling the technologies and analytics, but also through the driving the change management through the organization that is required to make some of these shifts in how we, how we operate as a digital company. So before we even get into the discussion, let's start off by defining what we mean by customers and engagement. Jude. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've always found interesting about the pharmaceutical industry is the, the definition of the word customer. It's, of course, very different than it is in uh, consumer packaged goods and those sorts of things. And I, I think while the players are all there, there's been this shift in power over time. So the, the four customers that we like to think of for pharma are really, of course, the patients who are consuming medicine, physicians who are, are making the, the primary decision about what to use. Uh, the payers, uh, those entities, you know, often insurance companies or, or governments who are, who are actually paying, and then um, what we call providers, which at least in the United States market, these are the people who are leading 
uh, healthcare delivery systems. So you may have networks of, of hospitals and other sites of care, uh, all kind of combined under one corporate roof. And there's, there's decision-making that happens at that level. And what's been important about this is I think the pharma commercial model over years has been um, heavily focused on physicians. And, and that's fine. They're the primary decision maker. But uh, physicians and then payers has been the focus. But increasingly, organizations like providers and even patients are getting a bit more power and choice in the decision making process. And so some of the things that we see happening in these commercial model shifts are ways to figure out how to address those stakeholders as well as they, they take on more influence in the process. And players are slightly different in Europe, but similar concepts also apply. I think we've been we've been dealing with the institutions for quite some time over here on our side. So well used to that environment. Yeah, and I think kind of one of the, the trends though is just this idea of you know looking more broadly beyond you know physicians, uh, healthcare providers and payers and looking at how customer engagement is evolving from what's traditionally been this face-to-face -face model. Um, so this has kind of been a trend that's been going on for a while and this question of, you know, what's the future of customer engagement has been a hot topic. But what do you think's really been accelerating this interest and in, in moving away from traditional ways of engaging? Well, certainly over the last year, year and a half, uh, like it's affected everything, I would say it's COVID. Um, and what we believe COVID has done is really take some of these trends that have been ongoing for a while, but really accelerate them. Um, and I would say that there's been kind of four major trends that, that COVID has, has radically accelerated. The most obvious, of course, is the, the move away from face-to-face, -face. the promotional model, especially with physicians, was built uh, around face-to-face -face contacts, often fairly short in nature, uh, but fairly frequent. Um, and those face-to-face -face contacts when COVID came really went away. Now there's a recovery rate on, on these, and we believe that they will, uh, you know, they will return, although perhaps not back to the same level. Um, and so that's been, of course, one, one major one. The others, though, are for example, this one of the things that has happened with patients during the crisis is it's created lots of interruptions to their care. And so you, maybe I'm a cancer patient who needs an infusion, but now uh, either the facility is booked or I'm afraid to go to a physical facility. And so there's lots of these interruptions that have happened. And as a result, um, an underlying trend, which was organizations trying to fill or address those gaps with service-based roles, that's become even a bit more prevalent uh, as those gaps have increased. So that's one. Um, another one is, as we talked through institutional stakeholders, they have been getting uh, some more power during the crisis, partly due to the just the financial instability that's been created. Something like 15 or 16,000 practices have closed or become uh, financially unstable during the crisis. And so that then has led to further consolidation and more power in, in, in the central institutions. And then lastly, COVID has really exacerbated the local differences between markets. Not brand new. Markets didn't all operate the same way as um, even prior to COVID. But now when you add on the complexity of 
what what a particular state's guidelines might be or, or local guidelines around the ability to go and um, you know e even do things like dine out and and whatnot that that changes pretty radically the way that these contacts can be made and uh, has really forced people to operate in a in a more local manner yeah just to add on to Jude's comments but maybe from a slightly different angle I think what COVID has done for our customers is it's changed how we all operate. And so as you can expect, our patients, our physicians, the people who we interact with have, they were already changing, but they've just accelerated that change. And as such, I think their expectations of what we do has also changed. And so we need to get as pharma a lot better at not only the push channels that we're already going after from a digital lens, but the pull channels. I think our customers are into new habits and new ways of interacting. And if we're not there where they want to be, we're gonna be missing out. And so as we think about the where digital can provide value in the future, it's really, we've got to up our pull game so that we're just there when, when our customers need us. Um, the other thing that, that we need to really consider is, um, you know, if we're, if we're gonna be using face-to-face -face as one of many ways that we're interacting with folks, how do we transform the way in which we're creating, disseminating, chunking up content so that it, it is on those pull channels, it is where our customers need it, indigestible pieces. You know, if we're not sitting in a, in a big conference center listening to someone lecture from the front of the room, how do we still get those nuggets of information to people in a way that doesn't require them to spend an hour and a half listening to a YouTube video or a podcast? Um, hopefully this podcast turns out in good, good digestible chunks, but that's what we need these days. Building on this idea, Jude, you have of these environmental shifts and then Heather, what you said around the customer needs, behaviors, how they're consuming information, what they're consuming. What does this mean when we start thinking about the future of, of customer engagement models and what they need to look like and deliver? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question, Jen. Maybe I'll take a stab and then throw it over to Jude. So I think I think one thing is that it's not going to be a it's not going to be an or model. There will probably be many customers in the digital only model, the hybrid model, and the face to face model. And we're going to need as a company to be able to deliver across all three of those at the same time. And so that requires a little bit more agility, a lot more um, ability to redeploy as we need to. And uh, just just a way to react to what our customers are telling us. Um, what that might also imply, because we're going to be customizing at the customer level so much, is that we may need to centralize things that make sense to centralize. And so many of the clients that I'm working with are moving towards more centralized creation of content, so that. They can then maximize that content, translate it, get it ready for markets and markets that have a lot of choice and they can pick and choose what makes most sense for them. They're also centralizing things like the customer engagement strategy. So can we do that more centrally, give the countries a blueprint and have them spend their time not on strategy development from first principles, but on really tailoring something to really meet their local country needs. Um, so I think that centralization move has to happen for efficiency, and also effectiveness. I think it will make us all stronger in the end. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to pick up on one point that Heather made there and expand on it a bit, which is, 
she used the word agility. Um, and I think that's something that right now has been a um, certainly a hot topic around this, this idea of customer preference being different and maybe shifting over time, right? So we've got customers that will uh, perhaps still prefer face-to-face, -face, some that will want to be entirely remote, some that will want to do both. And that mixture that we're seeing play out is really sort of scattered about in different, uh, different areas uh, of the country or even in, in, in different countries themselves. And so what organizations need to do now more than ever is be able to understand which ways customers want to work and have the agility to be able to meet that preference in different places. And as I said, potentially over time. So it's a bit different than we, we, I think we formerly had models where we could do sort of one segmentation and feel like we could go and, and kind of execute against that for a long time. And this is at least one dimension that we need to really stay on top of and, and kind of continue to meet. Because I think that we, what should be driving what we're doing with customer engagement is customer preference in the first place. And so as those have shifted, I think we need to be able to sort of meet customers where they're at and, and be able to serve them things uh, in that manner. Now, We've seen within our data, we, 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 at least in the United States, we do track some of this information as far as how contacts are being delivered. So we've started to see some interesting patterns uh, that do emerge differently by specialty, um, even a little bit differently by geographic area in terms of what these preferences uh, are looking like. And so there, there have been some differences where you've got certain specialties that have historically been uh, fairly low access, kind of remaining fairly low access, and then others being a bit more of a mixture where in some cases they are letting face-to-face -face visits um, you know come back fairly quickly and others where they're kind of not you see a shifting preference where they're saying you know I'm quite busy and uh, you know I'm starting to like this idea of maybe getting self-serve content maybe even after hours to get my questions answered and not have to take up time during my day when I'm really trying to focus on on, on patient care. I think another thing that, that we could see changing is the um, perhaps the way that contacts evolve over the life cycle of a product. You know, I think that there's been in, in many, if you look at many brands, many launches, we of course do lots of preparation to understand what kind of uh, effort might be needed in the market. And we tend though to stay at that same effort level for quite a while. Um, and so I think that the, the shift to other means ends up being kind of a slow one. Um, and you wonder now if we've already got the agility in place to be able to move, if we will be able to, to really focus in on when do we really need face-to-face -face contact because you truly have something uh, new to say and, and it does need deeper interaction and those kind of things. And when might we be sufficient with uh, shorter uh, re reminder kind of contacts? And again, that maybe can be delivered through alternate means, both from the perspective of efficiency for the, for the manufacturer, but more importantly, from the perspective of uh, positive experience uh, you know, for the customer. Just to build on that, Jude, I think one of the things that's critical to enabling companies to make that shift from face-to-face -to, -face to digital is understanding what your holistic engagement is with different types of customers. I mean, we're all very good at measuring the face-to-face -face and reach frequency has been around a long time, um, but being able to add in, well, how am I reaching my, those same customers digitally? And can I sustain that engagement via different channels and back off the face-to-face. -face. And so the companies that I've seen make that brave decision to pull back the face-to-face -face when it's warranted, have that reassurance that they know what their digital engagement is and they know where they're compensating and where they're not. 
and where they might need to, you know, supplement with face to face. But you've got to you've got to have that information and that valuable way in which you're tracking customers across all channels. You can't just focus on the reach frequency game. And, you know, building on that, that point, Heather, I kind of touched another question I was going to ask around, you know, this whole world of traditional digital hybrid, all of this needing to coexist together seems like, of course, this is, this is the way that we're going. Um, but why haven't companies embraced this more? I think, you know, to your point, this holistic engagement strategy seems like it's a main gap. Is it only that? Or are there other things that are also contributing to it? You know, Jen, I, I think one of the things that's contributing to it as well is the people challenge. Uh, and by the people challenge, what I'm referring to is, I mean, you've got uh, thousands of, of folks out there in the field who have been used to working in, in one particular style. It's not just the thousands of reps, it's the thousands of first-line managers who are used to coaching uh, to, to sort of one, one way of doing things. And, and, and also that way of doing things has historically been very successful. So I think that that's, uh, that's sort of folks' default. I think as you look at this other world and you start thinking of hybrid and agile and things like that, it does suggest flexibility that we haven't had to have before. And one of the things that's kind of coming to, to the front now that's that's interesting is some of the skills required to do this, some of these softer skills, um, if, if you will, may not be as sharp as we need them to be in a lot of organizations, you know? So as people have made this change, I mean, you could, you could say now that practically every organization is hybrid in some form or fashion simply because we have not been able to make face-to-face uh, -face contact. So everybody's trying to do some sort of a mix and many of them have at least attempted to address one skill, which is sort of simply the skill of being effective in a, in a remote and in a video environment, which is, of course, different than a face-to-face -face conversation. But there's other soft skills that people haven't spent as much time addressing, and these things are very important. And it could be things like being someone who is more solution-oriented than more product-oriented, which is to say, you know, having that mindset of, I really need to understand what the exact problem is today and how the, how the suite of what I have available to me is going to help to address that. And that problem might not be a lack of clinical information or, or a need to understand a piece of clinical information more. It may very well be something that has to do with how can I get patients access? Or is there something in place to be able to get people to an alternate site where they might be able to get an infusion? So and that's one. Another one is kind of being a bit more of a networker. Uh, you know, people have been, uh, some reps are very good at this already, but people have been very used to focusing in on an HCP relationship. Um, and now that that's become, uh, you know, a bit more difficult to get, people are, are concentrating a little bit more on how to really still be multi-stakeholder, even though you are in this remote environment. So building up our chops on some of those soft skills will also be sort of critical. And that, that does take time. That takes investment and time on the part of manufacturers to, to do that. I'll add um, two additional points to Jude's around individual skills. I think one is also organizational skills. And so, and what I mean by that is the organization's ability to look at itself and identify processes and ways of working that might hold them back from the change. As Jude talked about moving to Agile, when we move to Agile within um, spending our, our marketing money and our and how our sales force interacts within that if we're setting our budgets 18 months in advance to when we're spending them that's that's holding us back from being able to truly adapt to customer needs and make adjustments on the fly 
And so we do need to take a hard look at some of the ways in which we've operated from an organizational standpoint and make some hard decisions there. Yeah, that's a great point. And I was going to add one more example as 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 uh, as Heather uh, sort of started us off, I think, on a nice, nice discussion track. The other another way that I think we've we've operated in the past that is very challenging is we many of the resources we've brought to bear have been fairly siloed when you think about where they sit in the organization and who has responsibility. And again, when you start thinking of a more agile world, it, it, you, you've got to be way more coordinated. So there's got to be a lot more thinking uh, that is kind of real time. What is this customer journey and how is that taking place across a number of different potential touch points, both human and, and, and non-human? And that really does involve a level of, uh, of kind of collaboration and cooperation that's different than we've had to operate in the past where we really could set, uh, set a, a couple different independent plans and, and go and execute. Given all of those challenges that you just talked about and, and some of the gaps that are existing, what, what are some of the no regret moves that companies should be investing in today to really be able to set themselves up for this future world? So in my mind, there's a couple. I think one is just being hyper-focused on what I can learn about my customers, what data and information I'm already getting that I can combine in new ways to just continue to really understand what they need and if I'm meeting their needs. I think that that to me is one for sure. Um, I think what that will lead to is companies needing to, as, as Jude said earlier, and as, as I've also said, um, operate in this more agile environment where they're taking those learnings, they're making adjustments, they're operating in multiple ways. They're providing digital and non-digital services. They're meeting their customer where they're at in full channels um, and really trying to you know, drive the needle forward by fitting into the ecosystem, not just pushing our ideas out to other customers. Yeah, and I would add to that that uh, a couple different things from uh, from my perspective. I think one no regret move now, as I talked about some of these capability or skill gaps with regards to the reps themselves, it does make sense to really begin to address these. And I think there are there, there, there are training methods and things that organizations can begin to invest in to try to improve these skills. And, and very honestly, also, you know, while improving, also really just get a, a, a handle on in the talent that they've got in their organization, which ones are really best positioned for the role of the future. Um, perhaps it's not everybody. And, and I think the, or the earlier that you can begin to try to address that gap, but also understand where you may have, have gaps that are not addressable. Um, I think the, the sooner that you can find that out, the better. I think the second thing, certainly with regard to digital, is I, I, we've got to be intentional about it. Uh, you know, I think from through in the mind of, of many representatives, digital has been a supplement. Um, it's been it was is really a face to face model. And on top of that, we have these these other digital things. And I think now if customers, uh, if I look from a customer's perspective and they're saying, you know, no, so I, I this this is not just a an add on. I may want to get half of my information this way in a purposeful manner. I've got a, I've got a preference for it. We've really got to be willing to uh, to embrace that. Um, and say that, hey, if that's the way the customer wants to work, I really need to understand what is what is sort of the potentially the rep's place in that, digital's place in that, and uh, how do I, you know, how how can I really create the best customer experience, uh, knowing that now I've I've got hopefully better better channels and, and opportunities to do so. 
the conversation today, takeaways are that the future of customer engagement is in person, digital, and a hybrid. Companies are going to need to be able to deliver consistent, relevant, and positive experience across all three modes of engagement. Achieving this requires both having the people with the right capabilities and competencies, along with investing in training to build the skills required to deliver this. It also is about flexibility, flexibility to continually gather feedback, learn, and adapt to ensure customer needs and priorities are in the forefront to shape engagement models. That wraps up this episode of our podcast. We hope you enjoy it and tune in next time. Thank you for joining.